What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is, it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. All right, what is up and welcome back. Happy holidays. Guys, it's been a uh, interesting two weeks. I've, I've been in surgery recovery. I got a, a septoplasty, which basically is when they reform the shape of your deviated septum to open the nostrils more. And just all the research that I've done on like breathing and the mechanics and the science of it, it's just like that is the one biggest impediment <laughs> I've suffered from my entire life that I am so glad that I took care of, you know, even though I had to take a straight week off of work. Highly recommend it. It feels like my nostrils pass about three times as much air as they used to, just wide open, crazy breathing capabilities. My doctor said that a lot of patients report that under uh, high duress or high stress is when people notice the benefits most from a septoplasty because when, you know, let's just say you're, you know, running that last mile or, you know, cycling that last, you know, leg of the race, the um, amount of forced induction oxygen, the compiled benefit from that just of, you know, so much more air passage makes people be able to go just a little longer. It, it improves endurance and all of these other components. So anyway, I've gone down a rabbit hole on breathing. I'm reading this book called Breath by James Nestor, which highly recommend. It's, it's not some boring mindfulness book, you know, hammering home the same messages about we all need to meditate and all that stuff. It's a very scientific uh, study of what breathing can do for you, uh, but also, you know, how it can do damage if, if we're not using it properly. And looking into oxygen machines, hyperbaric machines, all this stuff. Anyway, going down a rabbit hole, I'll probably do a podcast on this at some point um, from the biohacking component of things uh, around breathing. But this is just, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the best biohacking shortcut there is for improving performance is, is getting more oxygen. Highly recommend that you also check into the Wim Hof breathing method on YouTube. There's a bunch of good videos on it. And holotropic breathing has just been game-changing for me. Um, and since I had a deviated septum, it's always been a challenge, but now it's going to become much easier for me. Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. Sorry, guys. But, you know, I think it's nice to just, like, hear, you know, somewhat regular updates from your friends and, and your, you know, the creators that you follow. Um, so that's what's going on with me. Also got my dog Oreo sitting next to me. He's got a tummy ache, and he's been sick for all day, so I can't go into the office which puts me at my new iMac, another great upgrade in my life. I'll talk about another time. But yeah, I just adopted a, uh, an Australian cattle dog who's five months old. Thankfully got him from a shelter. Didn't have to, to buy him, um, but was still able to get a purebred. Beautiful dog, really smart, really easy to train. If, if you've ever been interested in buying or adopting a dog, I would recommend definitely adopting. But uh, these cattle dogs are amazing and very unique. Okay, let's jump in. That's my update. All right, so today what I want to talk to you about is being an owner. A few years back, my really good friend and also who 
you know, somebody I would consider a role model, a successful guy. He told me about this concept of being a, an owner instead of being a renter. And he gave me this analogy and this narrative has kind of stuck with me. I think it's been about three years since he told me this, but this is definitely something you could use for like your, your word of the year, like ownership or something like that. But ironically, my other best friend shared a book by Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership today. So I'm definitely going to read that, put it into my Audible about a half hour ago. And um, basically what this concept is, is think of it like you and your boys or your girls go on a trip to, I don't know, Austin, and you rent this Airbnb and it's beautiful. It's, you know, modern. It's got creative artwork all over the place. The, the host left you a bottle of red wine and you just get the ball rolling. Everyone's excited and so on. And you guys start partying and end up trashing the house. Who cleans it up the next day, right? The mindset of the renter is just fundamentally different than the homeowner. The renter will go into this house, party their ass off, destroy the place and maybe break some stuff, whatever, we, you know, we'll just pay for it out of our deposit, whatever. And there's really not a high sense of accountability among renters. They will come through, trash the place and, and leave and you know, never think of it again. Whereas if you're the owner of the house and you go and visit your vacation property, you may still throw a party, you may get, go get drunk with your friends, but in the morning you clean up after yourself and you fix the broken stuff, and you genuinely care about the well-being of this property that you have, this investment. And in all areas of life, this concept is relevant. But I just love that analogy because it's, it, it, it nails it so accurately. And the, the closest match for this concept that I can, that immediately comes to mind for me is the difference between the owner of the business and the employees. I had an employee who came from a big tech company, uh, was in her early 30s, and we paid her, I don't know, 10 grand a month, something like that. This employee was the source of all our problems as a business, complaining about everything, toxic mentality, spreading negative chat among coworkers, complaining about coworkers ad nauseum bitching about not having enough benefits and not getting enough pay and refusing to accept more responsibility when offered a promotion and all these things. It was just a really toxic environment, even though it was all veiled as nice and cute and benevolent, uh, which is also a dangerous thing. But anyway, this person absolutely had a renter's mindset, always complaining about the business, never proposing ideas to improve workflows and processes and things like that. I would always ask like, you know, okay, I get it. There's an issue here. There's a problem. Um, what do you recommend that we do about it? Never got solutions. It was just constant complaining. And uh, after I fired that employee, I, it, it became extremely clear to me that this person was in the renter's mindset. Coming through, spending a couple years with my company, draining it for every dollar possible, nickel and diming us over things like, you know, one or two vacation days here and there and demanding, you know, $250 payouts and you know, covering the shipping of the, the computer that, you know, was, was lent to this employee for a long time. I'm happy to pay for all of that. It's just we were constantly getting nickel and dimed, constantly not doing enough, all 
There's all this stuff that come from the corporate cushy mindset employee world where entitled millennials go and kick and scream until they get their way. And it was so toxic for the company. I'm telling you, it almost collapsed our business. The top performers in the company were being complained about all the time. It's causing all these other issues. And it was so discouraging and exhausting for me as the, as the owner and, and Kale, my partner. Anyway, that is absolutely a, a renter's mindset. Now, you can get by and do that. You can skirt from job to job, you know, jumping every two years, asking for a pay raise, complaining about your benefits, complaining about this and that, and demanding more and more without actually exerting more and without actually producing more. And when me, the owner of the business, looks at somebody like that, I'm like, okay, this person is a taker. I know what I'm dealing with now, and I am going to be very careful with them. On the flip side, you have the owner, right? And the owner mindset is, I came here to learn. I came here to contribute. I appreciate the pay that I get and the risk that this employer is taking on giving me money before I'm actually producing a profit for the company. You know, during my training and onboarding and things like that could be three, six months with some employees or more. Currently, I do a rotational management program and employees are not put on to actual campaign or client related work for three months. So off the bat, we're losing money for three months on some of these employee investments. But anyway, if I've got a new hire who comes in and says, you know, we have this issue with our onboarding process. I think we really need to automate notifications in Slack whenever somebody finishes their intake form. Uh, boom. I'm like, hell yeah. One, I don't have to worry about developing a solution and coddling and playing daddy with this employee. But two, that person has had the learning experience and gifted themselves with the knowledge and the benefit of thinking independently and solving their own problems. So that employee uh, gets the benefit, of course, of learning something new, which is the most valuable part of any job, but also gets the positive regard of me because it's one less thing that I have to worry about as an owner. I've got finance, I've got HR, I've got so many things pulling my attention in various directions. The last thing I need is somebody to complain about something who doesn't bring a solution. I'm not paying you to sit there and poke holes in the business and complain and bitch all the time. I'm paying you to solve those problems. I'm paying you to work for us. <laughs> so if somebody comes through and says, look, I, I found this issue in our CRM. I built an automation here and I, I went ahead and tested it and it's working quite well. I um, just wanted you to check off on it. As a, as a manager, I'm going to be so thrilled. And that stuff happens a few times. Dude, I guarantee you I'll send that person a bonus. Two, three times, they'll, they'll get a you know, random $500 check. And there will be no other explanation other than I'm feeling thankful and good because you took ownership of your matter and you solved it. And now that's one less thing for us to worry about. So in society, I, just, I, I see so many people take the renter mindset, people complaining on social media, sharing juicy news information, but not actually researching the matters themselves, not actually proposing real solutions just echo chambers of BS. And the renter mindset has become so popular. I think I, I attribute a lot of it to the fact that tech companies grew so fast with venture capital and are just so cash rich that they can overpay the shit out of employees today. And again, a bunch of entitled millennials go and you know, make 250 grand a year working as an analyst at Tesla or something like that. 
and they get spoiled. The truth is they get spoiled. So I encourage you to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing and take ownership. There's some interesting definitions for this concept that I, I came up with in the process of researching this show, and I want to read them off to you. The renter mentality is one that is short-sighted and inwardly focused versus being focused on the whole. The owner mentality is one of commitment, individuality, and collectivity on a shared purpose, aka accountability, ownership. The second definition that I liked a lot was an employee with the renter mentality will often point blame at the company when things go wrong. This person is not understanding that they are the company. The company is a culmination, an organization, a group of organized people and processes. It is just the sum of its parts at the end of the day, people. So I think you got a pretty good understanding of the, the owner versus renter. And another concept that folds right into this is the concept of deferred gratification. The longer that you can defer gratification, the bigger the payoff will be. If you think about these things in terms of compound interest, the longer you hold an investment, the more its interest will accumulate on itself. The same thing happens everywhere else in life. Just in finance, there's a number, there's a unit identifier that is easy to account, right? It's a metric that's easy to track. But this compound effect happens on everything in life. What, if you're a spiritual person, you can look at energetic investments, you know, doing good karmic deeds and then you know, ultimately coming back to pay you. I feel like I get paid tenfold in karma for the good things that I've done. I, I, I'm constantly thinking, how can I be nice to this service person? How can I start conversation with this maintenance person here at the office and show them my gratitude for keeping the office clean? I'm constantly doing that because these are long-term investments, right? And these, the longer that I am thinking on a time scale, the bigger my payout will be. The longer I can defer selling or, or spending my money, the more it will accumulate, right? Same thing happens with karma and every other component of life. So the short-term mindset is, I got this house for the weekend, I'm gonna throw a party, we're all gonna get shit-faced and we're gonna leave and never think about it again, even though there's a broken window and you know fireplace, leaking gas, whatever. <laughs> The owner mindset is, I'm going to treat this house like it was my own. And then maybe the owner comes on day three and meets you and says, look, you're a really great guy. Like, you know, any, any chance you would want to uh, go into this next investment property with me? And all of a sudden, you know, you're making five grand a month off of some Airbnb that you got from another professional Airbnb owner in, you know, Austin, wherever you went to visit. There's just a, a big market difference there. And owners are one in 99, renters are 99 and 100. So you deciding to do what's not trendy and, and to not follow along with the hype and the crowd and all that stuff will pay you back big. Uh, and so th this is the conclusion here is that people who take responsibility ultimately win. When you take responsibility, you inherently become a leader. And then people will look to you and naturally begin to follow you because you've assumed the position of the leader. Let's just say that you're with a group of people, six people and three couples, and you guys are all trying to decide where to go to dinner. If one guy says, hey, where do we wanna eat? The other guy says, I don't know, let's check Google Maps. 
that conversation could you know last 30 to 60 minutes and get nowhere. But the person who says, look, I've got a great new restaurant. It's a place called Zinc. It's in Venice. We should go check it out. I'm going to go call them, get reservations. Oh, look, they have reservations. Boom, let's do it. You will cut through so much of the ch- chaff, laser cut through the BS. And what will happen? What do those other five people do? They're going to say, oh, thank God. Somebody made a decision. Somebody st- stood up and took leadership and you know, went ahead and booked us a table. People are immensely more grateful for the guy who goes and calls the restaurant and books the table than they are for the dude who's you know, chit-chatting and asking and trying to get buy-in. Oh, should we do this? Should we do that? Three stars here, four stars there, blah, blah, blah. So that group of five will naturally follow the leader. If that leader says, look, I got a table for six at Zinc in Venice. We need to get going right now. When he walks out the door, all five of those people will follow him. I guarantee it. And think about it for yourself. Think about a time where you stood up and said, no, I'm going to call the shot here and I'm going to make an executive decision, even if one of the six people doesn't like it, and we're going to get this done. You can see how people naturally follow the leader. And, and that, is, that leader is the one who's taking ownership of the matter. Where do we go to eat? One guy's sitting there chit-chatting and getting lost on social media because he opened his phone. The other dude's calling the restaurant and booking a table. There's a clear market difference there. And the person who goes and makes the decision, takes the action, is the one who will be respected and followed. So by being an owner, by saying, look, I see this issue in the business. I'm going to go in and fix it. And here's my solution. I already got it done. You don't have to worry about you know, any of the thinking along the way. Everyone else in the company is going to be like, damn, this guy's a doer. This guy gets it done. Maybe I should sit next to him more often so I can observe how he gets things done. Inherently, you become an owner when you take responsibility. When you take ownership, you become a leader. And as you naturally begin to take action, when questions arise or issues arise, you will see that taking accountability improves financial and life performance. Why? Well, because you're facing the facts, right? The data doesn't lie. Accountability always improves your financial and your life performance. Taking ownership of the facts of the data. I was on the phone with a client recently and they're asking me, look, we're below quota. We need to have this many deals close per week and we're missing target. What are we doing about it? The call ended up going on an hour and a half, descended into a lot of negativity and got into arguing. So I got off that call pretty pissed off. So I went and developed a framework, a reporting framework to look line by line at all of the different sales reps. There's seven of them. And I measured all of the metrics. How many calls did they get? How many leads were given to them? How many uh, verbals did they get? How many contracts did they sign? And how many wires were sent? And what looked like a big general problem with the sales department was actually a very pointed and and nuanced thing. When we looked at the data, it turned out two of the seven reps were getting 90% of the leads coming in from the marketing, from the inbound. And those two reps, their close rate was dramatically worse because of the high volume of leads they were getting than the other reps. The other reps are getting one, two, three calls here and there, and they're closing you know, deals on that 50, 70% close rate. Whereas the other guys are doing like five to 7% close rate and getting a much larger volume of leads. So by taking 
ownership of one, here's our issue, two, what is the data on this issue, breaking it out line by line, person by person, and seeing based on the facts here, based on the data, where is the real issue? The real issue is that leads weren't being distributed fairly. Not that the performance of any one rep was off. It was just way askew. So taking that level of ownership over the matter uh, and saying, I'm gonna be the one to fix this. First of all, the next call was amazing. Energy was much more positive because we had all these solutions in place and I had to step up and, and build those solutions. Of course, I was lauded for that. I was given accolades for it because I took ownership of the issue. And guess what? Now, you know, the client depends on us more for that kind of thing. And, you know, when they depend on you more, they write more checks. I think the, the data is there. You know, the, it, it's very obvious that when you take ownership, you win more. When you defer taking accountability, people don't respect you. That's the bottom line. And I just, I, I wanted to share this message with you guys because this is some of the softer components. This is the shit that people don't talk about and the stuff that's not cool and it's not trendy, but it's the stuff that has helped me and all of my role models win. I observe, I listen to hours and hours of books a day. I read for like 30, 40 minutes a day, listen to hours of podcasts in between every activity and all of them have this one consistency. They take ownership. So start applying it today. Maybe when you do your 2022 goals, make that word of the year owner. Take ownership. All right, guys, have a wonderful week. Thanks for joining again. If this show inspired you or helped you out or contribute any kind of value, just go ahead and share it with somebody. Uh, I like to just hit the share button on Apple Podcasts and, and text it to the homies who I think could benefit from it. So do that favor. Keep the show free. Keep the ads off. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.